Amen. I don't know if the brethren will put me out for using an illustration, but the quartet is like wine. The older they get, the better. The taste. Good morning. Again, it's a pleasure to have you in our service. I begin today my series on the significance of current world events on biblical prophecy. And of course, there are numerous such events occurring on a daily basis, events that impact biblical prophecy. In fact, in order to emphasize my point, I often like to say that it appears as though Government leaders around the world, religious leaders around the world, those who are involved in technology, it appears as though they are reading the Bible, like the book of Daniel and Ezekiel and the book of Revelation and so on, and then going out and doing what it says. Because every day, there are events that have been prophesied that are beginning to manifest themselves in our society. But you know, sometimes we get so excited and we get so involved in about these world events and how they impact prophecy that we forget what prophecy is all about. And so before we get lost in the excitement and the hype of the amazing amount of evidence we have in current world events that the Lord Jesus Christ is in fact coming soon. Did you hear that? Years ago, this used to be a message that was preached almost every Lord's Day. Now you very hear, hear, very rarely hear about it at all. But friends, listen. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming back. And he's coming back soon. And it's possible that he could come before we're finished here today. Jesus is coming again. And world events are emphasizing this fact. But let me introduce our series by underlining some basic truths concerning biblical prophecy so we could be sure to keep steady in what we will be doing. First of all, prophecy is all about Jesus Christ. Please remember that. Prophecy is all about Jesus Christ. We must never forget this. Prophecy is not meant to tickle our ears or our fancy or to satisfy our curiosity. In fact, here is what the Apostle John says as he concludes recording the prophecy that Jesus Christ gave him. And he writes it down in the book that we call the Revelation, not of the Apostle John, but the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who told John what to write. Now listen to the words of Jesus Christ then through the Apostle John. Revelation chapter 19 verse 9. Then he said to me, then Jesus said to John, write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. I hope you're blessed. And he said to me, These are true words of God. Notice that. 
These are true words of God. There were many who proclaiming words, proclaiming to be the words of God, but they were not. These are the true words of God. And this is Jesus Christ speaking. Then I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, do not do that. This is the angel speaking, of course. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. We hold the testimony, the story, the life message of Jesus Christ, the history of Jesus. We hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of or about Jesus is what? The spirit of prophecy. Did you get that? The point is simple and clear. The purpose of prophecy, all prophecy, is essential to bear testimony to Jesus Christ. In fact, it is essentially a testimony, a message, a testimony, a record of the life of Jesus Christ. Prophecy is meant, therefore, to glorify Jesus Christ. Prophecy, I say, by its very design in the plan of God is to unfold the beauty of the person and work of Jesus Christ as God's perfect solution to the evils of the universe in both his first and second coming. All scripture ultimately points to the person and work of Jesus Christ in his pre-incarnate glory, his pre-incarnate glory, his incarnation, his ministry on earth, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his session at the right hand of God, and his glorious return. All of scripture is concerned with these truths. It's a testimony about Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus made this perfectly clear as the two disciples on the Emmaus road were speaking to him, and they seemed so befuddled as to what was going on in Jerusalem. Now listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 24. And he, Jesus, said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary? Necessary, the implication is because prophecy has already predicted it. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? It was all foretold. Then, verse 27, beginning with Moses, the very beginning of the Bible, and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself, notice now, in all the scripture, not just some. All scripture then is about Jesus Christ in some way or another. All the prophets wrote about him. Listen once again to Jesus as he speaks to this issue in John chapter 5 and verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these, what? The scriptures that testify about me, that gives my testimony. The word of God is a testimony, a life story, a record of me. The scriptures then, all of them, tells the story of Jesus. That's why the quartet sang this morning just fits in so beautifully with this concept. It's the story of Jesus. The scriptures then are Christocentric. 
They center in and on the person of Jesus Christ. And so if we preach or teach about prophecy and miss Jesus Christ, then you can be sure we were not preaching the Word of God. Did you get that? If we preach and teach prophecy, in fact, anything from Scripture, and we miss Jesus Christ, we're not preaching the intention of the author of Scripture. But secondly, accurate prophecy strengthens and stabilizes the believer's faith. Listen to Paul in 2 Thessalonians 2. This is the passage we'll focus on in a little while. Paul says, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a, me or a message or a letter as though it were from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you. In other words, prophecy accurately interpreted is the remedy for last day's spiritual instability. And we have a lot of spiritual instability today. Paul is saying the key to it is an accurate understanding and interpretation of the life of Jesus Christ, especially as given in prophecy. Now, if there's anything that we need, if there's anything we need, spiritual stability in when it comes to the Word of God, it is now. False teachers and unqualified, untaught, self-appointed teachers and prophets abound. Just turn on your radio, turn on your TV, you'll see that. Prophecy accurately interpreted is designed by God to guide us in our Christian life on a day-by-day -day basis as well. That's the third thing here. Prophecy, accurately interpreted, is designed by God to guide us in our Christian life on a day-by-day -day basis. Listen to the Apostle Peter now, once more. Chapter, chapter 1, verse 19. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. So we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place. That's prophecy. We live in a dark world. You want some light on this dark world? Study prophecy. Until the day dawns, until the day dawns, and the morning star arise, arises in your hearts. In other words, prophetic teaching through the word of God is to be our special guide until Jesus Christ returns. He wants us to know about these things. Look at verse 20 now of that passage. But know this first of all, of first importance, priority. No prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. It wasn't something that was dreamt up by an individual or a human being. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But man moved by the Holy Spirit spake from God. Prophecy, all scripture, 
comes directly from God. Yes, it comes through man, but God is the final source. The, prophet, the prophetic word, then, is a word from God designed to teach us more about Jesus Christ, to help us live for him on a daily basis, and to inform us of how to know when he is coming back and how to prepare for his coming and for, for his glory and for our good. That's what prophecy is all about. So if you came expecting just to look at all of these events and just say, hey, boy, that's me. Hey, man, that's... Uh -uh. Prophecy is your guide and my guide to preparing for the coming of Jesus Christ and to understand not only the what, is happening in the world, but the why as well. But finally, at least for now, Jesus expects believers to know the why behind current events and how they impact the timing of his return. Listen to the scathing remarks to the Bible scholars of his day in Matthew 16, beginning at verse 1. This is what he says. Well, this is what the Word says. The Pharisees and Sadducees came up, testing Jesus. They asked him to show them a sign from heaven. They were looking for signs. But he replied to them, When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearances of the sky? but cannot discern the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seek after a sign, and a sign will not be given it except the sign of Jonah, and he left them and went away. Now, we're not going to deal with all of the uh, implications of this act, only the one that says, hey, if we are Bible students, we should be able to tell when the Lord is coming back. No, not date, time, and everything, but the fact that he will be coming soon, and we should be ready for him. We are not children of the darkness. We're children of the light. Jesus teaches that. Jesus expects for us to know how events that are happening around us on a daily basis relate to the timing of his coming again. He expects for us to know that. The EPA. Do you know how that impacts the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? The WTO? All of the alliances that are taking place in Europe, in the Caribbean, and in the Mediterranean, all of these things happening in the European Union? Do you know? Jesus says he expects for you to know. Because these tell that he is coming back again. Let's begin then. That was my introduction. By getting a panoramic perspective of future events as given by the Apostle Paul. Next time we'll have a panoramic perspective from Jesus Christ, then a panoramic perspective from Daniel. And we're going to see that they all fit together. But we want to give you an overview first. Then we will take the events that occur and show how they all fit in to the truth of the, word, of the prophetic word. Now, this will begin 
to lay the foundation for us then to interpret the signs of the times actually and to cause you to realize that we are now living in the times of the signs. We're living in the times of the signs. The signs of the times are occurring right now. Next time, Lord willing, as I said, we look at Jesus' perspective of prophecy on an overall basis. But first, let's turn again, and I hope you will open your Bibles, and turn to chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. This is where we begin our study. I want you to open the word. We'll have it on the screen as well. But please open your word. Open the word before you. Make any notes in the text that you need to. Here is how it reads. And I'm laying out the text in a way so that you could see what we call the direct statements in each one. You'll be able to see exactly the specific objective things that he's saying. Now we request you, brethren... That's to you. He's writing to Christians. These Christians are five or six months old. That's all. And Paul was already teaching them prophecy. We request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. Notice now. Notice carefully. There are two events with which Paul are concerned here. The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, number one. And our gathering together to him, number two. Don't miss that. That's important. Now verse two. That you do not be quickly shaken from your composure. That's one of the things he's trying to remedy. Or you do not be disturbed. That's another thing he's trying to correct. They are disturbed about their Christian faith. How are they disturbed? He says, either by a spirit or a message, or a letter, as if from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. You see, some false teachers had come into this church right after Paul had left, only about five, six months old, and had taught that the persecution, because they were undergoing persecution, the persecution they were experiencing was in fact judgment associated with the day of the Lord. As we shall see, this, I believe, is the Great Tribulation. In other words, they were teaching that they were already in the Great Tribulation. Paul rejected this outright and exhorted them not to listen to these teachers, no matter what form it came to them. If someone says that an angel said this, don't believe them, if it differs from what I told you. If someone comes as a messenger from another teacher, says this was what it teaches, if it differs from what I told you, don't listen to it. If it comes by a letter and it teaches something than what I've told you, don't you listen to it. The day of the Lord has not come. Now here is how I would paraphrase this verse. By the way, this is a good way for Bible study. When you, leave, when you read a passage, try to put it in your own words. That'll see whether or not you understand what it's saying. So here's how I would, I would paraphrase these two verses. Now fellow believers... With regard to the second coming of Christ and the rapture, and I see because I understand that the gathering together refers to the rapture. So that's how I understand the passage. That's how I interpret it in my own words. I encourage you not to be unnecessarily shook up. 
or concerned by any message in any form, even if it claims to have come from me, saying that the great tribulation has already occurred. That's what the passage is saying. So the big idea, and, the, and again, this is a way for you to do good Bible study. Read a passage and see if you could put in a capsule form what that passage is saying. And this is what I believe it is saying. Don't allow false teaching concerning the rapture, the second coming of Christ, and the great tribulation to destabilize you in any way, either theologically or psychologically. You see, these people, because of the false teaching that they were getting from these false teachers, they felt they were left behind. That brings on some psychological difficulties for believers who believed otherwise. Paul's concern, then, was the spiritual stability of believers relative to prophetic teaching, and that is my concern as well. So let's make an application of this passage, and we'll be doing this as we go along. Here's an application. We need to correctly understand prophetic teachings related to the last days because ignorance of these subjects results in spiritual instability and emotional distress. For instance, suppose someone were to come here next Lord's Day and to teach that the rapture had occurred. How would you feel? Would you be emotionally disturbed? Theologically mixed up? You bet you That's exactly how these people were, were feeling. Now, let's go to verse 3. You, that's the subject of the passage. Again, when you read a passage and study and you know that there's a subject, you try to find out who the subject is. You, who? The brethren, the believers I was just writing to. You let no one deceive you. How? In any way. You let no one deceive you in any way. Why? For it, which is the great tribulation, will not be unless the departure comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of destruction. These names are important. We call this guy, as we'll see, the Antichrist. That's really not a good name, biblically speaking. The best names are some of these given here and other ones we'll see in the book of Daniel. The man of sin is revealed... The son of perdition. Notice carefully now. It is the timing of the day of the Lord or the great tribulation that is at issue. Has it occurred? It's what we call the terminus ad quim event. That is, it is the ending event or event at which the process ends. In other words, the day of the Lord is Paul's point of concern in this prophetic panorama. Now, we could diagram it in this fashion. Take a look at it on the screen. That's the order of events, according to Paul. It begins with the apostasy. It ends with the day of the Lord. After the apostasy, the man of sin is revealed. That's what these two verses are saying now. These are the sequence of events. And notice, Paul is careful. He is concerned about the proper sequence of events. For Paul to correct the false teaching that had caused instability among the Thessalonians, he had to show the proper sequence of events leading up to the day of the Lord and the beginning of what he calls the falling away or the apostasy. Now look in your script, in your word, and you see that article, the, the apostasy. 
It shows that he was talking about an event that was already spoken about before or previously. In other words, it was prophesied before, not only by what Paul says, but it is something that you, they know about. The apostasy. It was an event that was spoken of or predicted before. It was something discussed and referred to already in prophetic literature. And we'll see that in our, uh, in our future messages. Paul then goes on to describe this man of sin in verses 4 and 5. In other words, he gave, gives us a profile of the man we call the Antichrist. And we'll be dealing with this profile in detail later on. But Paul gives a profile of this man of sin. This man of destruction. Notice, he who opposes and exalts himself against all that is called God or all that is worshipped. Why? So that he sits as God in the temple of God. Certainly, if you know the scripture as well, this should immediately cause you to think of another one called Lucifer who wanted to be like God. He sits as God in the temple of God, setting himself up as God. Notice now, do you not remember that I was telling you these things? He's saying, don't you remember? That's what I was talking about when I was with you five or six months ago. The idea, you should not be disturbed. Do you not remember that I was telling you these things? While I was still with you? Now here's how we could paraphrase this passage to give the understanding in my own words. Don't let anyone dupe you in any way. The great tribulation cannot happen before the apostasy from the truth. He calls it the falling away. Which is sure to occur. It is certain it will happen. Don't let anyone dupe you in any way. The great tribulation cannot happen before the apostasy from the truth which is sure to occur takes place. Followed by the exposure of the Antichrist. The falling away comes first. Then the Antichrist, the man of sin, the son of destruction, comes on the scene. Or not comes on the scene, but he's revealed for what he really is. Who's this guy? He obeys no laws. He's his own lawmaker whose trademark is devastation, and who is anti any kind of deity or reverence of anyone in anything claiming to be God, which eventually leads to presenting himself as God and the object of worship in the sanctuary of God in Jerusalem. Because that's what he's talking about here. Remember, Paul says, these are the very topics I taught you on my last visit. So this, shop, this stuff should not be new to you at all. That's what he's saying. That makes me feel good. Paul, the great apostle Paul, would teach and preach the gospel in a few months. Everybody forgets him. Here, it only takes a week. <laughs> but they didn't remember. They didn't get it. They didn't pay attention when the teaching was being presented. And so when a false teacher came in, they became emotionally and spiritually distressed. It happens today all the time. I get a telephone call, Pastor Lee, you really think I could lose my salvation? Now, I don't believe there's anyone in Calvary Bible Church who ever asked that question who sat under the teaching here or what you get in Sunday school. 
If you ask it, it means that you didn't get it. You're not studying and you're not listening. And what happens when a false teacher comes on? You're going to be emotionally and spiritually destabilized. Here's the main idea of these verses. The main, that's another, I told you, the main idea, the big idea of these passages. There are two or three of them. First, Paul is saying, don't be deceived in any way by any prophetic teaching that in any way differs from the word of God as taught by the Apostle Paul. If you go according to any teaching that is not taught by the Apostle Paul, you're following an erroneous teacher. Number two. Two events must take place, must take place before the great tribulation begins. First, an overall pervasive rejection and opposition to the word of God by those who once professed to believe and hold to it. Now, we're going to show in a later message how this is happening in just about all of the major churches. There's going to be a falling away from the truth. The Anglican church is just one current illustration of that. We're allowing homosexuals to be bishops of God's people. That's only one. We're going to show you others being done, not only by the, these denominational churches, but also by the so-called independent churches, especially when it comes to leadership and who leads. There is a falling away already. Now, is it the falling away Paul is talking about? Not really. This is just a token. This is just an illustration. This is just a sample. We're going to see that when we talk about Jesus' perspective. This is just a sample of what is to come. Secondly, the second event after the falling away is the public recognition of the greatest sinner of all times, who will claim to be God and erect a replica of himself, perhaps a robot, in the rebuilt Jewish temple as prophesied by Daniel. You say, how in the world did you get all of that? Well, number one, the holy place, the temple, and the sanctuary can only refer to the Jewish temple. And the only, way that's, that's, the only place that's built is in Jerusalem. Right now, they don't have one. So it means that there will be a rebuilt one when these things happen. It will be. That is, in its climactic form, it will happen. Now, here's some applications then of these prophetic truths. Because these things are true, and they're the word of God. Here's some personal application. One, study the Bible and expose yourself to sound Bible teaching. Why? Because they are essential to genuine spiritual growth and to avoid being deceived by the many false teachers whose heresies and errors are proclaimed worldwide via TV, the World Wide Web, and the ease of travel today. We have false prophets jetting all over the world with their false message. And many people are falling to the message simply because they are so well-known and so uh, they, they become such a celebrity. They don't listen anymore to what they're saying. They're only looking at the figure. And that happens, you know. 
You become so enthralled with the personality, no matter how much they lie, no matter what they teach, you still follow them. We're going to see how this is happening in our world today. By the way, I say to you again, there's none of you who should have any kind of excuse about Bible study. We've had seminars, we've had conferences, we have all kinds of how to study your Bible. No one, not one of you, should ever call up and say, can you teach me how to study the Bible? If you do that, it's indicating that you have done what the Thessalonians did when Paul taught. You just didn't listen. That's why people like Jehovah's Witness could win so many arguments when they come to your door. Because they study. You don't. And so, the question for you and for me today is this. Are you rapture ready? That's the question. We'll be teaching, and we've taught before, the rapture could occur at any time. Are you rapture ready? I'm not asking you if you are ready for, uh, uh, to retire, and you got all your money ready. You ready to retire? Good. Are you ready for the rapture? Because that might occur before you retire. Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? You've heard the message. You've shunned it. You have an opportunity. The rapture could occur. And this passage teaches, as we'll see in a moment, you should make that decision before the rapture occurs because you may not have an opportunity after it occurs. We'll talk about that in a moment. Are you rapture ready? Now let's go on to verse 6. And you know what restrains it. Now, you see, this is amazing. Paul is saying here, you already know what is preventing the man of sin, the son of destruction, the Assyrian, he calls him, the Antichrist. You know what it is that's preventing him right now from revealing himself. You know what it is, implying that he's already taught them. You know what restrains him now. So that in his time, his time, notice the importance, time and sequence. He will be revealed. He will be exposed. He will be seen for who he is. Why? For, this is how they know, the mystery of lawlessness is at work. There are many mysteries in scripture. The ministry of the church, the ministry of Christ. Here's the mystery of lawlessness. It's something that is taught in the Old Testament, but not fully revealed until the New. The mystery of lawlessness, what you've read about, is at work right now. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So the picture is something wants to be loose, freed to do something. But something or someone is in his way, preventing him to do it.
That's going on right now. Let me paraphrase that to show you how I understand this, these verses. So, based on what I have taught you previously, you know who is holding the lawless man of sin in check. Until the predetermined time, you see prophecy has to do with predetermination. One thing depends upon another. The man of sin in check until the predetermined time for the exposure of his identity. Doesn't mean that he isn't there. Here, it could be here now. But we just don't know who he is. You know this because the deep workings, the mystery, of sin is already in motion. However, the one who is presently preventing the full manifestation of the lawless, man of, the lawless man of sin will continue to do so until he is removed from out of his way. Until the restrainer is removed out of the way. Until his restraint is removed. And the only way the restraint is going to be removed is for the restrainer to be removed. Now, what, do you say? what is he saying in this way? Well, in fact, let me look at the diagram again. The apostasy, notice in the verse 3, it only talked about the apostasy and the man of sin. But now, he says something has to happen before the man of sin is revealed, and that is the restrainer removed. Now, what is this restrainer? We're going to be talking about this later, but just let me give you a taste of it. Some say it's government. Is government now that is restraining evil and corruption in the world? I doubt that is true. All right? Well, the price fell, I don't get this wrong here, but it certainly isn't being done now completely. There's a lot of restraint now, by the way, because of our government, because of police, and the, there's a lot of restraint. Should be more. But Paul says this restrainer has to be removed. I don't think it's government. Others say it's the church. Others say it is the Holy Spirit. I believe it is both the Spirit and the church. Because when the church is removed, of course, the Holy Spirit who indwells the church goes. Now, that doesn't mean, I guess bring this later on, that the Holy Spirit isn't on earth at all. It means that we go back as it was in the Old Testament time. The church is removed. Listen to this. The greatest restrainer for sin in the world today is the people of God. And that's why, before you start blaming the police and the judicial system and all, everything that's going on for the crime and the immorality, you better search your own heart and life as a Christian. Are you living as a Christian citizen? Do you steal? Do you thief? From the government? Do you live an honest life? Do you defraud? Do you pay your people who work for you what they deserve? Do you give them an honest day's pay? The things you sell in your store, are you taking advantage of the prices that you give? Are you gorging the public because you are able to do it? You are not preventing sin. You are a part of it. So who is a restrainer? I believe it's the church. And when that is removed, the Spirit of God 
goes with the church as far as indwelling is concerned, and then he goes back to the time, like it was in the Old Testament days when he only came upon people. We'll talk about that later on. So here's the big idea of these verses. If the Thessalonians reviewed Paul's previous prophetic teaching, he's saying, regarding the last days, they would not be misled regarding the sequence of events culminating in the Lord's return that brings an end to the great tribulation and the, reason, and the main reason why it has not occurred. Paul is simply saying, listen, go back to your notes if you took any. It's amazing how he said he didn't watch that. Hardly anybody takes notes. That shows, I guess, what you think of my preaching. But that's amazing to me. No one takes notes. Paul is saying to these people, go back to your notes. Remember what I taught you. Listen, go back, research. If you do this, you wouldn't be so upset, unstable in your life. You're not reviewing what I taught you so long ago. It's amazing to me, you know. Now, no, I won't let me go on that bar because you might think I'm focusing on myself. But I got to say this. I go to other seminars and whatnot, and it's do the, everybody has their notebooks. I guess it's just because we know all of this, isn't that right? All right. Here's an application then. Let me ask you something. Will you make this commitment? Number one, this is a personal application. I hope you will look at yourself. Because the remedy for spiritual and psychological instability is a knowledge of and obedience to the teachings of the Word of God, will you say, I will study the signs of the times so I could know how to live in the time of the signs? That's simply saying, will you study the Word of God and apply it to your life today? And number two, will you commit to this? You see, the word of God has to be applied. And Paul is simply saying that you're not applying the word of God, that you know. Knowledge alone is not sufficient to cause us to grow. It's the application of what we know. Secondly, will you commit to this? Because the Holy Spirit through the church is God's agent for keeping the world from total spiritual and moral corruption. I will commit myself to his control and my life to enable me to live a truly holy lifestyle. It's the Holy Spirit living in you as a part of the church, as an individual, that you need to guide you and to strengthen you as you live in these days. You need to commit yourself to the control of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you try to do it yourself, you'll continue to remain destabilized, unstabilized in your Christian life. And thirdly, will you commit to this endeavor? Because it is possible and even probable that Jesus could or would return at any time, I will commit myself to the privilege of explaining the gospel to as many of my family and friends as possible and to do so with a sense of urgency. Most of you say you believe the Lord Jesus Christ is coming soon. Do you have an unsaved friend? Do you have an unsaved family member? When last have you spoken to them about Jesus Christ? See, that tells about really or not you believe Jesus Christ is coming in. Unless you have no problem with your family going to hell. You have the message. 
you have the solution. You have the prescription. You have the remedy. Why aren't you sharing it if you believe in a hell? Or if you really believe that Jesus Christ is coming back again? Let's continue now at verse 8. Then the lawless one will be revealed. You see, he, it's, it's possible that he's already on the scene. Only thing we don't know him, because he's wearing a mask. He's hiding who he really is. He's all nice and loving and kind and charismatic and all of that. Then the lawless one will be revealed. After the church, we believe, is taken out. Then! So you see, we as a church, I believe, might not even know who he is. We might see signs of it, but we might not know who he is. Then the lawless one will be revealed. As I said, he may already be on the scene, but he's hiding behind another personality. You might be looking at him right now, don't know him. I know that Christ. Only joking. <laughs> but when the Holy Spirit removes the church from the scene, he will then be free to reveal his true character and his true intention. But it's not until the church is removed. But then Paul next gives his certain destiny, the destiny of the Antichrist. Jesus Christ will destroy the Antichrist immediately upon his second coming, even before he touches the ground, I believe. He will look Jesus Christ himself. No graphic? Did any of those graphics come up at all? All right, I had a graphic there of a nice-looking fellow. I ordered a mask, and then right behind it is a devilish-looking fellow with his horns. And now this one is supposed to be a beautiful photo, a picture of Jesus Christ returning, coming back, to bring an end to the Great Tribulation, not the rapture, the Great Tribulation. And he's coming, and there's like a sword out of his mouth because the passage says that he, they will destroy him with the breath of his mouth. And so I believe that the Antichrist might even be destroyed before Jesus touches earth, if he does. But he will be destroyed. And who will destroy him? Jesus Christ, the one that prophecy speaks about. The one who is the center of all prophecy. We'll be talking about this later on, the difference between the rapture and the second coming of Christ. The second coming of Christ in the Bible does not refer to the rapture. It refers to the time when Jesus Christ comes back at the end of the tribulation to put an end to everything. We're going to see the differences of this later. We confuse the second coming of Christ and the rapture. We will, I'm sorry, yeah, and the rapture. We'll talk about this at a later time as well. But Jesus Christ will destroy him. Look at verse 9 then as we close. Paul continues to give Profile of the Antichrist. That is, he's explaining what he just said. That is, the one who's coming is in accord with the activity of Satan. With all power, notice that's quite a word, all power. 
or on signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish. Now, this is an important verse. The one who is coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all deception of wickedness for those who perish. Because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false. And they're doing it because God has given them over to their chosen destiny. In order, notice now, this is the reason why they're going to suffer this fate. In order that they all may be judged. Who? Who did not believe the truth when? Before the Antichrist came. Therefore, before the rapture occurred. But took pleasure in wickedness. Now here's my paraphrase of this passage to show you how I understand it. The man of sin will be revealed for who he is. When the restrainer stops hindering him. But eventually the Lord Jesus Christ himself will be revealed and will kill him by his divine fiat. Now I'm talking about the man whose reign is a part of the devil's strategy that will be accompanied with unlimited might, symbols, counterfeit miracles, and with evil fraudulence directed toward the ones, this is the important part, directed toward the ones who will be killed as a consequence of not accepting the truth in their heart so that they would, they would be redeemed. Because of this choice, the Lord will put a divine blindness on them that will cause them to believe what is not true, so that they will be judged as unbelievers because they chose to enjoy the evil ways instead of accepting Jesus Christ when they had the opportunity to do so. Friends, listen to this carefully. How many of you read the Left Behind series? Well, we don't have any readers in here, do you? Are you really? How many of you read the Left Behind series? How many of you read one of them? One, two, my, that's, that's I'm glad you, I'm glad that is true, by the way. Because I believe that the concept of the Left Behind series is theologically incorrect. They give hope for the person who does not receive Jesus Christ before the rapture. They seem to say there will be opportunity after opportunity after the rapture for you to be saved. This passage, I believe, teaches otherwise. I really believe that. It's amazing. Even, uh, what's his name? Impy? Imp? What's it? Van Imp. Van Impy. Used to believe this. But then he said he changed his mind. And that's when he got together with LaHaye to write the behind the scenes, behind, left behind series. Jenkins, well, and LaHaye, they're all involved in this. Um, but this passage, listen carefully now. This passage seemed to teach that if you want to be sure that you go into heaven, you should receive Jesus Christ before the rapture because you don't, have an, you don't have the assurance that you'll be able to accept him afterwards. Why? This passage, listen to it carefully now. Listen to it carefully. Because of their choice of not receiving him, 
And they had the opportunity to do so before the Antichrist is revealed. Therefore, before the rapture occurs, the Lord will put a divine blindness on them that will cause them to believe what is not true so that they will be judged as unbelievers. Why? Because they chose to enjoy the evil ways instead of accepting Christ when they had the opportunity to do so. This passage seems to be clear. Anyone who rejects Jesus Christ before the rapture is consigned to die. They will be blinded by God himself to believe the message of the Antichrist. Now listen. This is important. Study your Bible. See if this is true or not. Your eternal destiny could depend upon your decision. Here's the big idea of the passage then. A couple of them. Number one, Jesus Christ will destroy the Antichrist when he returns the second time to set up his own kingdom on earth. He will come and he will destroy the Antichrist. He will destroy the kingdom of the Antichrist so he could set up his own kingdom. Number two, those who rejected the truth prior to the reign of the Antichrist will be deceived by his power to perform miracles because of the fact that they are destined by God to be killed because of the rejection of Jesus Christ prior to the appearance of the Antichrist. Therefore, prior to the rapture. If this is true, here are some urgent applications. I encourage you to search the scriptures to see if this be true or not. First, because signs and wonders can have their source in Satan as well as God, spiritual discernment through the word of God is needed to determine the difference. The only way you can tell what is true or false today when preachers preach is if you know the word of God yourself and if you have the spirit of God dwelling within you. Study your Bible. Come out to tell us. We ain't going to charge you nothing. We charge everybody else. You don't give a little donation, come. But listen, come. Come anytime. We start tomorrow, we go, we're doing theology. You want your faith challenge? Come out there to understand it. Study your Bible. Secondly, because there's no guarantee that the person who rejects Christ before the rapture will have a second chance to do so following the rapture, the day for your salvation is now. Not later. Jesus Christ could come at any time. It is foolish for me to say, go and pray over and see whether or not you're going to accept Christ. Because Jesus may come on your way to the car. Right now. Right now. Right now is the day of salvation. Have you accepted him? Have you made him your own? The challenge goes out to the unbeliever and the believer. If Jesus Christ were to come right now, are you ready to meet him? Really, really ready. It could happen at any time. Bow with me, please, in a word of prayer. Take a few moments again reflection if God has spoken to you through his word in any way and you know you have to make a decision for Christ do that right now the Bible says all have sinned that includes you and me and have come short of God's expectations for us 
his glory. The wages of sin is death, separation from him. But God commanded his love even when we were sinners by sending Christ to bear the penalty for our sin. He bore your penalty. If you would acknowledge that right now, and acknowledge the fact that God validated the death of Christ on your behalf by raising him from the dead, if you place your faith in him, his death, his resurrection, as the basis for your salvation, you could be rapture ready. You could be ready for the king to come. Please, make that decision right now. I encourage you, if you have made that decision, please let me or one of the pastors know, or another believer, that today you are rapture ready. You're ready for the return of Christ. Try on God. Do your work in our lives. May say some come into the kingdom today, but also for us who are believers. Oh God, help us to clean up our act. Help us to be holy people in your sight by living holy lives because we obey the prophetic word that teaches us that we need to be Christ-like. And all of God's people said, Amen.